This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Mansi Sharma, VP Growth Marketing at MyFitnessPal. Mansi, welcome to the VSFS podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to have you on. Thank you for coming. Okay. First of all, happy 2024, everybody. Can you believe it? It's been 24 years into the 21st century. I do remember the days when I was thinking about the year 2000 and that was in the future. So now we've passed 2000 for 24 years and we're going to be celebrating the first quarter of a century next year. That's crazy in my book. So it's time of the year when you think about resolutions like keeping yourself fit. So fitness can be one of the things on your mind, right? How about keeping your fitness app fit? I bet just like keeping yourself in shape, you wouldn't mind to learn from folks experience, wouldn't you? Uh, so in this episode, I have Mansi to tell you about the lessons she has learned growing and keeping the MyFitnessPal app in shape. But first, Mansi, let's begin with talking about you. Please tell us about yourself. Thank you for the question and Happy New Year to all the listeners out there. I'm Mansi Sharma and I'm currently the Vice President for Growth and Lifecycle Marketing at MyFitnessPal. In my role, I'm responsible for leading a team that grows our awareness, acquires installers and subscribers and engages with them. Prior to joining MyFitnessPal, I've worked at companies such as Google, Uber, Rakuten and a couple of startups across India, Singapore and now have been in the US since 2016, so it's been eight years. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of my I'm expecting 30 bucks uh, check this February from the company. It's actually my first experience of using the platform. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the first time I have somebody on the show who has been working in Rocketeen company. That's you're, you're the first guest. Um, okay. Let's focus on my fitness bell. Uh, please tell me about your app and how is it different from similar apps? Perfect. Yeah, so MyFitnessPal, we are a nutrition and a food tracking app that tells you the quality and the quantity of the food that you're consuming. So, for example, let's say you had a Starbucks mocha and a croissant for breakfast mm -hmm. and then home-cooked rice and lentils for lunch. You just put, put that food in the app and it'll tell you the breakdown of your macronutrients such as proteins, fats, carbs in those meals, micronutrients such as fibers and vitamins, as well as the calories that you ate. It's used by, the app is used by people for multiple things, such as trying to lose weight, gain weight, watching sugars in their food for managing their cholesterol, et cetera, and generally being more mindful of what they're eating. So that, that's what the app is used for. And the app stopped me in my tracks and tell me stop drinking coffee today or no more donuts? No? No, it doesn't say me. that. It, no, it will not force you. It'll just tell you that, hey, your sugar quota for the day is so many grams of sugar. You are now at that level, so watch out for the rest of the day. So that's the beauty of the app. It doesn't tell you this is a good food or a bad food. It just tells you where mm -hmm. you are in per day of your limits. And that's what we say. You can eat what you love as long as you eat it within limits. Gotcha. 
Okay, this is great. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect that uh, the app will be grabbing my hand and tell me, guy, please stop eating this stuff. You, it's not healthy for you. I'm your mother. No, it's I'm not your mother. I'm just the app. <laughs> so um, following the theme of my previous episode, uh, to succeed, app marketers need to think like a scientist and ground their decisions on data. So research is the starting point of an app project. How do you approach its conducting? What questions do you answer with it? Yeah, so the most important question for me when I join a company is to understand the category within which that company operates. So for example, how big is that cat category in a country? And then how does my company stack up against various com companies within the category? So example competition, if you will. So, for example, I used to work at an entertainment app for Asian entertainment streaming in my last life. And one of the first questions I tried to answer was that if the, there is a big market for Korean dramas and movies in the U.S. And which providers have how much market share? Our findings here from this research and the realities of the business dictate the solutions that we come up with. So, for example, if the category is not big enough, we would need to come up with category expansion campaigns which would be much more broad reaching and sort of educational in nature. However, if the category is okay and our budgets are still small and we need results in the short term, I'd focus on growing my market share by reaching out to people who are already in the category, right? And win them over to my side. So that's the first part of the research. How big is the category? Who are my competitors? What's my mm -hmm. market share? And then what's my problem? The second part of the research is finding why do people use this category? and making sure your advertising and product lines up to that. So for example, if a food tracking app is used by people to understand the amount of protein they are consuming, does the app give them a breakdown of protein to start with? And does your advertising say so in its messaging? This can be done either by conducting a proper research, like you go out with surveys in the market, or sometimes even reading your customer feedback and success stories can be super helpful. So those are some of the things I, I try to understand from research and then leverage them in the marketing that I'm doing. So this is great. If you going in the market where you can see that the big portion of population being involved, uh, a lot of people are using the app. So the market is big. You're just uh, looking for ways how you can fit in and do better than your competitors, but you don't have to convince anybody. People are already on board or you may start with the other in the other point where you have to bring more people to grow your market yourself and make more uh, kind of a landscape for yourself to grow. So this is the, the important decisions. And I would assume it's just uh, generally true for any business, but it's completely true. And it's it applies for app marketing as well. Exactly. So much, so much. It, it We don't as marketers often do it, especially in the world of app marketing, because we are so much into performance realm. Oh, yeah. But this helps you understand so much about the foundations of the business, competitive, competitors, etc. Okay, so uh, kind of moving along the trajectory of an app project uh, development. So when you're actually running an app campaign for an app, the two biggest variables you need to play with are creative and targeting. It's kind of asking, uh, uh, answering the questions, what, uh, what and for whom, like who are the people you're uh, talking to and what message do you deliver? In your experience, 
how these two work together for you? Sure. So I've generally repeatedly found um, over years of me doing this that creative wins targeting by a massive amount. So creative wins over targeting. Because what I have found is that a good creative can break the targeting barriers. So for example, if you have designed a creative for a 25-year-old male, it mm -hmm. if it is designed well, it can also work for a 45-year-old male. However, the reverse does not happen. So for example, the best targeting does not compensate for a bad creative. Right. So just targeting, getting the right creative, I feel is like 80% of the job done. It Once it is out in the market, it will get you people. However, the other side of the story is that the creative needs to work for the medium your audience is on. So, for example, a TV ad won't work on TikTok as TikTok folks are generally used to seeing that UGC, user-generated user content kind of creative. Absolutely. I've seen companies trying to run vice versa also, wherein they try and run UGC ads on TV. And I don't think that works either because I'm so used to of a certain format on TV. So the choice of media channel informs the creative. However, that's pretty much it in terms of how these two work together in my experience. Got you. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around what will the... TikTok ad look like on a TV screen. That would be like something went off. Somebody hi hijacked the channel and start broadcasting <laughs> it to TikTok exactly. ads. It would be completely yeah. off. Uh, this is like it's really you can see like really vividly the difference between the format and the perception and what people expect from the experience of interacting with ads on TikTok versus TV. Plus generational difference. Uh, yeah, that would be really <laughs> awkward. Now. Another important ingredient uh, in an app marketing campaign is scaling. So any app business is really depends on how much uh, users the app uh, has managed to gather. Like what's the user base size? Um, is it growing over time? Otherwise, it's pretty much impossible to make your business sustainable. So Essentially, it's about finding the right channels to invest your marketing budget so you can, you can grow. Mencia, how do you approach scaling of your campaigns? Right. So I do that by going after where most of our users are spending most of their media time. Um, scale is all about numbers, right? And we go by numbers to figure out our media plan. So for example, if my business is used mostly by people between the age groups of 25 to 45, I conduct research on where those people are spending their times. And then within those brackets, which sites or apps within them are the biggest. So for example, I may find that 75% of this age group of 25 to 45 is found on social media apps. And then 50% of them are on online press, let's say. Then within social media, I'll further research which are the top channels. So for example, Instagram or TikTok. And with an online press, it might be something like an abc.com. Similarly, for creative, as I mentioned earlier, I'd research on what are the top use cases for my product. That is, what are, what are the top two, three reasons people use me for? And then I'll know that, hey, these are the top reasons people are using me for. These are the top media channels. Let's marry the two. Because if once I do that, then I have... I'm increasing the probability that my creative will talk to most people in the language that they understand across mm -hmm. the platforms that they are on. So that's the scale mantra for me is 
going after bigger channels with better creative, which resonates with most people. Gotcha. T- totally makes sense. You, you run your campaign. Um, obviously, you have marketing budgets. You're spending money. So the next component you, th- you should consider is measurement, specifically how efficient is spending of your marketing budget. Uh, quite frankly, none of us, even the biggest players, have unlimited marketing budgets. Even though sometimes you may think that the big guys have the really deep pockets, but believe me, even they have a limit. It's just hard to reach that limit, but there's, there is a limit, always one. So... Um, what can you suggest uh, when it comes to assessing in-app marketing and budget spending? Right. Assessing spending is critical because it helps establish marketing as a growth, growth level within a company versus just a cost, which is unfortunately the case for a lot of marketing teams across the world. However, the problem is in just bringing this to life is so difficult because marketing deals with brains and psychologies of people. It's not machines, right? So every time you're showing an ad, it's like changing their mind in favor of your company. And that change can be defined as multiple things. So for example, if you have an ad that makes a user aware of your company, but they're just not in the market to buy it and they will not come in the market for next two years, it doesn't mean the ad failed. If your budget is not enough, it will also not get captured in any surveys that you're doing for awareness. Mm -hmm. So surveys are failing, conversion tracking is failing in this case, but the user did come to know of you because of the ad, right? So it is very, very difficult. It's not an easy exercise. That said, where I have found most success is establishing credibility in performance marketing campaigns first. Wherein I say that if we spend this money, we'll get these many number of sales over this period of time, brings finance over to your side very easily, right? And performance marketing, if done well, Mm -hmm. you can actually figure it out. So for example, there are things like match market tests, wherein you define a market and you say, okay, this is my treatment market. This is my control market. I'll spend more money in treatment market, which will move the treatment market by 20% or whatever X percent. But the control market will not move because the intervention is not present in the control market at that time, right? And then you can go back to finance and say, hey, see, we spent so much money. We got attributed with so many conversions in our, in our media platforms, but the mm-hmm. market by X percent. And that's when finance is all ears to what you have to say. You have the CEO's attention, hopefully, at that point in time, because you're moving real business, real metrics. However, that this part is only done if you have good analytic support, if you have good marketing budgets for test, if you get enough test experimentation budget, which is also not easy, uh, if you have good analytical people in the company who can help you understand whether... You know, when you do this intervention, does something happen? Does something not happen? If you have tools, right? So at a DMA level, let's say at a designated market level, if you want to do this test, then you have to have tools that tells you that, hey, your sale within this city versus that city or versus this DMA versus that DMA is how. So there are multiple levels of uh, rigor and analyses that are needed in this. And um, it does need a lot of money and it does need a lot of appetite for experimentation. Once that happens, then you can make a case for, hey, yes, now I have established performance marketing. 
Now we'll figure out awareness or we'll figure out installs if your performance marketing is more sales focused. So I, I'd say like starting there where you, you can um, show the real business matrix and then moving up a funnel has been helpful to me in the measurement journey. Yeah, you bring up a really great point about um, the re really, um, it's really impossible to calculate people like you as a marketer uh, work with numbers, you have good analytics, you build um, forecasts previous and uh, based on your previous experience of your uh, marketing efforts. And uh, you may get a feeling that you can actually predict the behavior of your audience in the future. But unfortunately, we have to remember that uh, we we're not in a position to factor in every possible factor that has influenced the behavior of your audience in the future. They're living their lives. Uh, they're part of the bigger economy. You just you have no ability to predict the economy overall, like any social um, issues, any political issues, things that are just out of your control. So um, this is about the hardship of uh, doing analytics, analytics and measuring the success of your marketing budget uh, spending. But um, just like you're saying, great people uh, in analytics uh, in hand to work with, good an analytical tools and the rest. Yeah, this is this is like the best you can do. And um, just remember that these are still people who may have some unpredictable events in their life that will skew your numbers. This is just given. Um, and if this brings me to my next point, which is getting back to being a scientist. So when you make decisions about your marketing campaign, essentially you make hypotheses. You may not realize, but yeah, this is the fancy science, scientific term. So how do you go about testing these hypotheses? Right. Um, yeah, hypothesis is a fancy word for guess, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so the question is, what level of guess are you making? What level of hypothesis are you making? And that is driven by the problem, business problem you're trying to solve. So for example, if the hypothesis is that the campaigns lead to sales, the answer is probably in a match market testing or an on-off testing, right? So you have marketing on, then you have it on, then you have it off, like, and you see what happens to the sales with that. If the question is about which ad creative works and the hypothesis is that having this call to action in this ad will do better, then it's a much simpler question and can be answered with in-platform metrics. Like, was the thumb stop rate higher? Was the click-through rates higher? Or the number of likes, shares, et cetera? And uh, platforms do a phenomenal job in giving this content back, giving these metrics back. If the hypothesis, for example, but if is do the awareness campaigns lead to lift and down funnel sales, that one is not easy because awareness to sales may take a lot of time to materialize. So the answer may lie in very long-term testing, like we'll test an awareness campaign in a market for 12 months, no questions asked. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of budgets you need. And that's the kind of patience you need. Um, so ultimately, it boils down to where in the category and where in that landscape you are and what business needs you are trying to answer. So as to grow your business. Gotcha. OK. Uh, every app you launch in the market has competition. 
um, long gone times when the market was pretty much empty and every app you launch in the market brought something new. So yeah, this is just part of the history. You will be reading in the textbooks about the inception of the App Store in a few years. Believe me, it will be in a textbook. Right now, there's always competition when you go on the market with the app, especially when it's about e-commerce. So uh, what do you suggest to pay attention to compete efficiently, effectively? I'd say two things. One is using the 4P framework, right? Product, price, place, promotion. Product meaning what are your competitors innovating on? What kind of product they have? Is it easy to use? Is it difficult to use, et cetera? And being a user of competitor apps is a very good thing. Like I find that a very useful exercise myself. Uh, second P of the 4P framework is the pricing. How do you compete with them? Are they cheaper? Are they more expensive, et cetera? Third is the place. In the world of App Store, it means the, ch the channel of distribution, which means are you on Apple, App Store, Google, Android, any upcoming new App Stores, devices, et cetera. And then finally, promotions and the quality of promotions, what kind of advertising they are doing. Are they doing any sales on the advertising or not? Which goes back to pricing, but promotions more in the context of advertising, how they are positioning their app, which kind of users they are talking to, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, so the four Ps is the number one thing that I look for in my top competitors. But then it's also good to be, I'd say, just aware of them and know what they're doing versus letting them dictate your strategy. Because you have to have an app that helps your users and you know users, your users the best and you have only gotten control over your product and your promotions, right? Um, so I'd say that yes, be informed, but don't be driven by co competitors. You do you and they do themselves and then we figure out who wins. Right, right. Uh, don't follow them. Just uh, be aware of what they do and uh, factor in in your calculation their their steps. Right. All right. Finally, Mency, what takeaways do you have for our listeners? Mm, that's such a broad question. I was thinking about this one. Like, if I have to leave people with one thing, what would it be? I'd I'd say two things would be actually not one. Uh, one is just be curious and genuinely trying to understand your business, right? Like, what is the business? Why does it grow? Why does it not grow? What are the factors that helps that help it? And then trying to understand your own contribution to it, right? So in my case, for example, I would think about how much is growth marketing contributing to my company's success? If it is contributing this much, how can I increase it? If it is not contributing, then why not? What what do I need to do so as to make it contribute in a way that it is ROI positive? A lot of times we don't do either. Uh, that's a sad situation sometime to be in. And if we do one, wherein we are curious and we are genuinely trying to understand business, sometimes we don't do the second, which is like trying to understand our contribution for the fear of failing or coming to terms with truth that some of the campaigns that we are running, some of the work that we are doing may not be incremental to business. And I have found that generally it's okay because once you know, you make a change and then your leadership actually appreciates you a lot because you're making the overall business better. So just getting rid of that fear of what will I see once I open the can of worms is mm -hmm. it's 
it's been pretty awesome for myself. Gotcha. Yeah, this this is great. Okay, um, we're finishing with these two takeaways, the first part of the show, and transitioning to the second one. Now, whenever I have a new guest on the show, I take a chance to ask a few questions because I do want not only educate my audience with the insight about the topic on the table, but let them know my guest a little bit better. Just uh, answer. Uh, giving them a few quick questions so they can answer and they can paint a better picture of who they are. Here we go. So what smartphone do you have now? Um, are you one of those people who stick one side all the time, either Android or iOS or going back and forth? I am an out and out Apple person. Love the phone, love all their services also, the Apple music and everything. So Apple, iPhone. Since the day one, never look back, look at um, the Android. Actually, no, I started with Android, <laughs> uh, but have been on Apple for, I think, 10 years now. Oh, that's, that. yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's like ages for the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Epic system. Now, uh, let's jump back in time. Uh, do you remember your first mobile phone before the iPhone? Like the mobile phone you could put in your pocket, but, you know, that phone has buttons. Correct. Um, so before iPhone, I had an Android, but even before Android, I had a Nokia, uh, which was the buttons and no internet on that phone. I even had a Blackberry at some point in time for a small part of my life. But I would say Nokia was the first phone I had, wherein, um, yes, you had buttons. <laughs> Funny enough, I recently re read a story, somebody made an experiment trying to get away from a smartphone and going back to the, how would we call them, featured phone right now? Basically just the, that, the same mobile phone with buttons, not not the same way we used to have, you know, prior iPhone, but the kind of a modern, modern version of the uh, button phone, just uh, trying to get away from the internet, social media and the rest. I yet to read that article, I just uh, seen the title, but it's kind of a, it gives me a nice, uh, you know, father for thinking um yeah this is kind of a thing you can do go back to the um uh, phone with the just buttons no basically just small screen is if you, people can re remember those phones i'm not sure if i can do it myself because i will be missing a lot of things on my phone and speaking of that i imagine for whatever reason you've left your iphone right now at home um you're out you realize that your phone is not with you, what will be the most missing feature for you at that point? Mm. That's so many things, but I think number one would be the ability to connect with my family anytime. Um, my family and my husband. I, I see, yeah. It's like an extension of your brain. Correct. <laughs> um, now, nothing is perfect, the smartphones included. Um, if you when you're looking at your iPhone, did, did you ever have a kind of a feeling wouldn't be great if this thing can do this or that? Probably not more, probably less. Hardware, software, or both. Like, what's, what's the missing ingredient for you? Hmm. I'm looking forward to how AI changes things even more um, in the world of phone. Um, but it's also a scary proposition. So I, I'm both nervous about it, but I'm also very excited about how life can become easier. 
like simple things like Siri can make your life so much easy, but then there are limits to what it can do right now. Yeah, but exactly. future if it can that like it can get even better, that'll be super awesome. Yeah, I uh, wait for a moment when Siri will be more intelligent, so to speak. Probably Siri is waiting for it <laughs> this moment as well. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, before I let you go, very, very final question. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Perfect. Yes, just LinkedIn, Mansi Sharma, my fitness pal. You'd find me. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Simple enough. Great. Mansi, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us. Thank you. Thank you, Art. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. This is great. Uh, and that was Mansi Sharma, VP Growth Marketing at MyFitnessPal. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe. And you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.